Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God, I'm so glad you're here. Whether you've come to the church today or you're just listening to us on SoundCloud or another internet application anywhere all over the world, uh, did you know that by you tuning in today or coming into the church, you are showing God that He is important to you today? Anytime we make our actions match our words when we say we love or whatever, then it shows the person, or God for that matter, that we really love them, not that we're just you know saying the nice words. And you coming into church physically or tuning into something or turning on the internet and clicking on something is a physical way you show God that He's important to you because you're taking your time out, your precious and valuable time, and you're showing God, hey, I want to hear from you. Or, hey, what does this guy have to say about you? I kinda, does this guy have to say something to me about Jesus? I want, I want to hear you, God. And that shows God that He's important to you. If this is your first time today listening to me, hello, I'm Pastor Ed, and you're listening to me from McKinney, Texas, and this is Gospel Saving Church, and our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. All right, we always start with a word of prayer to ask God to help us understand the Word, amongst other things, so if you guys would please join me in a word of prayer, I'd appreciate it. Thank you so much, Lord God, for bringing us all here, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord God, for all those online listeners, Lord God, that are out there that are seeking your face, Lord, as, as I do every day. And I uh, praise you, dear God, for all those that you'll have listened to this message, Lord, from, from now on out to the end of eternity, or, or to the end of this age, I should say, not eternity. I, I pray, Lord God, that for not only them, but for me and for those in this church today, Lord God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, Lord. I pray that you would help us to know something more about you today. Help us then, Lord, not only, to, not only to learn things about you, Lord, and to learn more about you, Lord, but help us to put the things that we're learning about you to action. Or just like I already mentioned, Lord, to my audience, Lord God, we, when we put our words into action, it shows you that we really love you. And I pray, Lord God, that we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we'd be doers of your word. For we know that Jesus Christ said that those are the people that will be blessed. Help us to understand clearly what you have to say to us today. Impact us with your words, Lord God. We love you and we praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So you can turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We're still there. We've only got two verses today, verses 13 and 14. And you could do that now if you'd like to, for that's where we'll be today. But I'm not going to teach those words until after my thoughts from last week's message the flashback. Last week we focused on the, what I called the flashback, or uh, other people could have called it the re-recording of the gathering together between Jesus Christ and his disciples right before he resurrected into heaven. Luke recorded this at the end of his gospel, and then he re-recorded it back in, again here in Acts chapter 1. And in this gathering, Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, and that was the baptism of God's Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit's fire or power to do the work that he called them to do while Christ was away. And on that focus of this baptism, I taught you that there are actually two baptisms of the Holy Spirit. One being the baptism to be born again by God's Holy Spirit, and the other to be filled with his fire and his power. I closed the message speaking about why God thought it was important to have Luke write 
the flashback, and it was important because he wants people, he wants to emphasize to you, to me, to the readers of the Bible, that being baptized with both of these baptisms is super important. One baptism, of course, to save your soul, and the other baptism, of course, to fill you with power and fire of God's Holy Spirit. And I also closed this message last week challenging all of you who are listening as to whether you had really received both of these baptisms and then bearing their fruits. Because, of course, if you've been baptized by God's Holy Spirit to be born again, you're going to be changed. You're going to have a new life in Christ. And your your life is going to be about the things of God. You're going to spend time praying. You're going to spend time in God's Word. You're going to be focusing your life about, hey, how do I live to follow Jesus Christ now? You're not going to be the same person that you were. You're going to be changed if you have been really baptized by God's Holy Spirit to be born again. And then if you've been born again, have you been baptized by his fire, by his power of his Holy Spirit? And that would make you live a crazy and radical life for Jesus Christ and, and do things for his kingdom that you I, I thought you'd never do. We're going to talk about some of those things toward the middle of the message today. Again, so many think that they are born again in our world today and so had this baptism of the Holy Spirit unto salvation. But when questioned or when their lives are examined, they've not been because they don't know, nor do they bear the fruits of becoming a new creation and what the Bible says a new creation is supposed to be. So many true Christians on the baptism of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit's fire, so many true Christians are living out their lives in their own strength when God wants you to live it in His. And they are failing to live up to the types of lives God has called them to live. You see, Paul says in Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. And Christians, the only way you can live this type of life, the only way you can live a life worthy of the calling of which you were called, is to do it being filled with God's Holy Spirit, fire, and power. So please, ladies and gentlemen, if you are in need of either one of these baptisms, I I end this close of this overview the same way I ended the sermon. Please seek the Lord and question the Lord, have I really been baptized by your Holy Spirit to be born again? And and, and, And if so, Lord, if I have been, then Lord, have I really been baptized by your fire and power of your Holy Spirit too? Because God wants you to have both of them. He so longs for people to get saved, to be born again, to come into intimate communion with Him. And then He so wants you, if you've had that, He so wants you to be walking around in His power, in His love, in His fire, every day, serving Him in a radical, radical way. Praise God. Let's switch gears and get to our new sermon for today, shall we? The title of our message today continually in prayer and supplication. Continually in prayer and supplication. Now, I would read the verses right now, but I have a confession to make. I have to read the verses in just a little bit. Uh, I actually made a mistake last week. And God reminded me, he showed me that I made a mistake as I was starting to prepare for this week's main message. The mistake from last week, I actually 
forgot to teach one of the verses of our section last week. I forgot to teach you verse 7. I didn't do it on purpose. I guess it was just a brain fart. Because there's nothing specifically special that I want to teach you today about this verse. But anyway, I teach verse by verse in every verse of the Bible because they're all important. And so because of this, I'm going to go over it really quickly right now. Just backtracking here. Verse 4, Jesus tells them, the disciples, to go away for the promise of the Father in Jerusalem. Verse 6, they think, remember, that Jesus is talking to them about the Ezekiel prophecy, about how the Christ will restore the kingdom to, you know, to Israel and make the kingdom of Israel great again, thinking that their hard work was all over. Then verse 7, the one I didn't teach, he says to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. He says to them, Hey guys, hey listen up. Don't worry about the time or, or you know, the time or season when I will restore Israel and make it great again. It's not really your concern. Our daddy has got it all under control. Remember, he said almost the same thing, Matthew 24, 36, when the disciples come to Christ and ask him the same exact question. They ask him, when will the end be? They didn't realize by now that they're asking him the same thing, but they really were just in a, with a few different words. Jesus gives them a very similar answer too. In Matthew 24, 36, he says this, But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Hey, hey guys, don't worry about it. Daddy's got it covered. No, you're not going to ever know. And, and in fact, I don't even know, Jesus said. Only the Father knows. He's got that all under his control. It's already set up. It's good to go. Verse 8, he says, he breaks the bad news to them that their work for him is just beginning. Then in the conclusion, Jesus resurrects in verse 10 and verse 12. The disciples obey his command to return to Jerusalem to wait for the promise of the Father or baptism of the Holy Spirit's fire and power. Anyway, sorry about my mistake. We are going to read the verses now. We're going to get into our new message now, but I just had to correct myself, and I just wanted to make sure that that was on record because I don't want to be prideful and say, you know, um, God's gift to this, that, and the other thing. I'm just a human being like anybody else. I make mistakes. So now I've taken care of my mistake. Let's read verses 13 and 14 of Acts chapter 1, and let's see what Luke has to say to us today. Luke writes for us. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So now, Look at back to the very first part of verse 13. When they had entered where? When they had entered Jerusalem. That's where they were heading back to. Once they had entered Jerusalem, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. That is so important, and God showed me this point on this subject matter for this sermon, and I just want to emphasize that. At this point in time, it looks like the disciples had actually decided to move in together 
into one abode. And what makes me believe that is the word there in verse 13. They were, they moved in, they got into the upper room where they were staying. This wasn't a place where they were gathering. This was a place that they were staying. That's going to be important. At least by this account, it looks like they had moved in together, that they were living together. And verse 13 says that this abode is an upper room in Jerusalem. Now, I believe it was more than just an upper room, too, by the way. And we'll get to that as we look at who joined Jesus. I believe that this is more like they rented a second floor flat, or this was like a second floor apartment. And I'll explain as I, as I go, and I'll tell you why I believe that. This was like a large apartment, I'm thinking. Um, to them living together, to me, I see, they start living together after what they've been through with Christ. And, and what they went through with Christ would make sense because, remember, the Jewish religious leadership wasn't exactly happy with Christ and his teachings, uh, hence why they killed him, right? And they certainly weren't happy with his disciples, and they could easily have been on the hunt for them as well. Remember just a few days after Jesus was crucified, and actually the very evening of the same day Christ resurrected from the grave, John 20, 19, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, remember that was the day that Jesus Christ resurrected, uh, when the doors were shut, when the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews. They were afraid of the Jews. The Jews had just killed their leader right? And so what's the next step for them? Well, they thought, we're going to be hunted too, just like Jesus was. And then remember, Jesus came in and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. So at that time, the disciples were staying together for fear of the Jews, but after what they went through with Christ and spending 40 days with him after his resurrection, these kind of events build strong and close relationships. And of course, Here by Acts 1, they're very close with one another. And I believe they're living together in this room or this small apartment. Who's living there? Verse 13 tells us who's sharing this second floor room or apartment. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. Not Judas Iscariot. There were two Judases in the disciples' gathering. Whether you know that or not, that's just a, that's something that you know the Bible makes clear. Then we don't always see that. Judas, of course, had hung himself by this time. He was already dead. And then who else is there? Look to the end of verse 14, not at 14. They were there, those 11, with Mary, or with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So firstly, he says, Luke says here, not just the original disciples were gathered together, but Jesus' mom, along with all of the women, that ministered to Christ while he was alive. Just an example of just a few of them. Luke 8, 2 and 3. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom he cast seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. Jesus had a lot of women followers. The women that were probably there, Lazarus' two sisters, they were probably there, and many other women, as Luke writes in chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, who provided for him out of their substance. But also, he says here in verse 14, he says, also there were Jesus' brothers were there. 
Now, this could have included his half-brothers, Mary's other sons, but I'm not sure that they had started following him by Acts chapter 1. I'm not sure if his resurrection and his all that Jesus went through actually pulled his brothers in because at first, when Jesus was ministering, if you remember back in, in the Gospel of Matthew, the disciples were actually, or I'm sorry, in the Gospel of John, the Lord just reminded me, the, the, his brothers actually were challenging him. Well, aren't you going to go up to the feast in Jerusalem? And he says, no, it's not my time yet because they wanted to expose him. They thought, no, he's a fraud. No, we don't believe in him. For at the time, John's gospel declares they did not believe in him. And this is toward the end of his ministry. So I'm not sure if these would include his actual brothers, like half-brothers, like Mary's other sons yet. We know that Bible tells us that his brothers, his half-brothers, did come and follow him later. And, and in fact, the Bible records the whole, God, the whole book, the epistle of James and Jude. Those were actually two names of the brothers of Christ. But anyway... We don't know if it's the half-brothers yet, but for sure, Luke is referring to all those men of faith that follow Christ, including Luke, of course, for he wrote the book Acts. Why would I say that his brothers would include those, those men that followed him? Well, remember in Mark 3... Jesus is sitting in a, in a room and it's stuffed full of people, right? Not Nobody can even make it into the room anymore. That He's in a house and the whole house is filled, almost exploding with people because they're all listening to Jesus and his teachings. And, and what happens, his mother and his half-brothers, his literal, Mary's other sons come to him and they say, and, and they knock on the door and somebody goes to the door and, and they say, hey, what, what you need? Well, here, we're here to see Jesus. We're his mother and his brothers. And then so this messenger comes back and he tells Jesus and Jesus stops and he looks around the room and he says, hey, this is Mark 3, 33 and 35. Who is my mother or my brothers? 34. He and he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and he said, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. He didn't say, he wasn't saying, hey, I have another mother outside of Mary. He's saying, hey, who's my real spiritual family, but those that do the will of the Father. Those are my real spiritual family. And Jesus had quite a few faithful followers, and and so there were quite a few people in this upper room. That's why I believe the upper room was more like a small apartment in sense they were living together because they were staying there I believe that this wasn't just one room. One room wouldn't be enough to hold the amount of followers he had at this time. Okay, so they're all together in this upper room out of obedience to Christ's command to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father to come, which was the Holy Spirit's fire, remember. But what are they doing up there? Our last little bit here, no... What are they doing? Are they just hanging out? Are they just drinking some sweet tea? Or are they just relaxing? Hey, kicking back in the chair, just... You know, just chilling out. Hey, all right, we're just we're just hanging out, just waiting for the promise of the Father to come. No way. Look at the first part of verse fourteen. Look at what it says. These all, which would be Jesus's eleven original disciples, all the women as well as all the faithful brothers, could have been around a hundred people by this time. Now, all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Now, now think of this. 
They get together. They separate themselves from the world. Jesus didn't say, hey, go back to Jerusalem, separate yourselves, and get into this upper room, and close yourself off from the world. No, no, no. He just said, go back to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. They, we'll get to this, why they did this in a little bit, but these all got together. They stayed together in one room. They shut themselves off from the world, and they continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. This is, this is, they continued. This would be a continual, often on nonstop kind of activity in prayer. Prayer, what is prayer? It's communication between God. It's worship. It's, oh God, I love you. Oh, oh Lord, you know, Jesus, I want you to reveal yourself to me more. Oh, it's, it's, it's prayer. It's communication between you and God. Hey God, what should I do here? Hey, you know, God, can you tell me, you know, this thing? I need to know this thing. It's, it's communication. You talk to God, God talks to you. They continued actively doing that. And then they also, not only did they communicate with God, But also it says here they continued with one accord, meaning together, in prayer and supplication. What is supplication? Word defined by Strong's as a need, a want, and a seeking, asking, entreating, or entreaty to God. They were calling out to God, asking God for things that they were in need of. They were seeking God's provision. They were seeking God. And but why? Why? Why would they have separated themselves into this upper room, gotten away from the world, seeking God, communicating to God with one accord all together, and and crying out to God for their needs and their wants and their desires and, and, and asking God for help and so on and so forth? Well, you see, they knew they were about to embark on a new venture for Christ. For he had told them right before he resurrected, verse 8 of this same chapter 1 of Acts 1 here, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Wow. So they had their marching orders, and with that knowledge, they separate themselves, first by going into this upper room or apartment, and I picture while they set themselves apart, they start actively seeking God intensely in prayer, which is communication with God continually now. This is something that they weren't stopping. This is, they were gathered together and this is what they were doing off and on. This wasn't just like one five minute prayer and then they went to the bathroom and then they went to bed. This is, they were actively, desperately seeking God and asking him in supplication for his help, for his provision, for his strength to do the work that Jesus called them to do, wisdom to do what he wanted to do, and whatever else they were fearful over and the new work Christ had just given them. This was for the disciples a very scary and unsure time. For not only the disciples, but for all of those who decided to follow Christ because of the the dangers of doing that. Although there were quite a few of them, I'm guessing right around 100, the general non-Christian population and the Jewish leaders were way outnumbered them by a lot. And remember, there were a lot of powerful people who didn't like Jesus or his disciples. You see... Christ called them to do a huge thing. And they knew they couldn't do it alone. So what did they do? They go back to Jerusalem, instead of just hanging out or being by themselves, but they separate themselves in this upper room or this apartment or this small apartment. Where, uh, and, and once they were there, 
they intensely and actively sought God continuously in prayer and supplication, which is where the title of our sermon comes from, because they desperately needed God to show up in their lives. They desperately needed God to help them do what Christ called them to do. They desperately needed God's touch. They felt inadequate. And then we know by Acts chapter 2, God rewards them. We'll talk about that later. So they do this practice, this practice that I see is totally approved by God because where did they even get it from? Well, believe it or not, I believe that they actually got it from Christ. Not that any of them were with him at this time, but Christ did the same thing right before he started his, his ministry, a task that he could not have done had the Father and him been on the same page together, the same exact page. Christ could have not done what he did, for even he says in the scripture, I do only what I see my father do. And he needed to be focused. For although he was God in the although he was God inside, he still was in a flesh body. He still needed to seek God. There was one time before he called the 12 disciples that he went up on a mountain and he prayed all night long. And I've heard a scholar say, and I'm on the like page to agree here, that he did that so that he could hear God clearly as to which 12 disciples that he, could, he should actually call. And so Christ, before he made that big decision, went up on a mountain all night long, and he continued in prayer all night long on a mountaintop before he made a big decision. Jesus did the same thing right before he started his ministry, his major ministry, right before he started ministering to the world. Jesus did the same in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, right after John baptized him in the Jordan, right before he was going to start his public ministry to the whole, basically the whole region, the whole land of Israel. uh, Matthew says this in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. He said this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit, this is right after his baptism, into the wilderness. Where is the wilderness? Is that in the middle of everybody? Is that right in the middle of the city? Absolutely not. The wilderness is a separate area. It's separating. Jesus got separated. But why, though? To be tempted by the devil. Okay, so we got that. And when he had fasted, listen to this, 40 days and 40 nights. Well, what is fasting considered to God? What do you do when you fast? You're, you, you set yourself apart. You fast. 40 days. I'm sure he was praying. He's seeking God for help. To do what God asked him to do. And then afterward, he was hungry, of course. And, and we got that. And we know that the devil took advantage of him while he was there for the entire time. But despite that, Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And again, what are you doing when you're fasting? You're desperately seeking God for wisdom, guidance, help, and whatever else that you may need when you're fasting and when you're praying. How did God respond to his seeking continuously for 40 days and nights uh, and then him him getting separated all in the wilderness all by himself after it was all over? Matthew doesn't record it, but Luke does. Luke records what Matthew doesn't. Chapter 4, 14 of Gospel of Luke. Then Jesus returned in the 
power of the Spirit to Galilee. And then news of him went throughout the whole surrounding region. And that wasn't just because some guy walked into a region. That because he walked, that's because he walked in with power of the Holy Spirit. And that's because when he walked in, he was doing miracles. He was doing things for God. He was radically serving God. For Jesus had not only, of course, he was born, born again, but he had received God's power to do the work. And then he had separated himself to ask God for help. And God was helping him do the things that he had asked him to do. So the practice of continually seeking God in prayer and supplication is definitely an approved practice in his eyes for sure. I myself have practiced, practiced this continual prayer and supplication many times in my walk with Christ. Just two for today, because I don't want to, you know, I don't want the whole sermon to be all about me, but this is, I'm just giving you an example that I know what these guys felt like because I've actually done what they did, what Jesus did many times just to one, to, to the first one I'll start with. I'll, I'll never forget when God first brought me and my family to Texas, almost 11 years ago, 10 and a half to be exact at this very month right now. He told me that he brought me here to serve him for his kingdom. He had led me and my family to this great church in the Plano, Texas area, and we weren't there long before God gave me some assignments. The very first assignment that he gave me was an awesome one for sure. And and to this date, it's my most favorite one, actually. Shortly after I came here, the church was just about to do a street evangelism event in a local park. And for many years at other churches that we had been in and I had served in, I had longed to get together with some other brothers in Christ and do some street evangelism. For that was my passion and that was my gifting for God. I had evangelized plenty of people at my job. You know, I'd stop for gas at the gas station and I, you know, talk to people about the Lord because that's just what I like doing. I like doing that still today. I like being at work and bringing up the Lord and talking about Jesus. But I, I was longing to do street evangelism, just cold context. I'd never met these people before ever and I just want to talk to them about Jesus exactly the way Jesus did it. Jesus went from town to town, city to city, and he didn't know personally these people before he talked to them. Of course, he knew he was God. He knew who they were, but he didn't know them. They didn't know him personally, and he didn't know them on a one-on-one, hey, man, how's it going? I'm Jesus. Yeah, you're your Bob, whatever, right? And that's what I longed to do. Shortly after I came here, this church started to do this. They were going to have this street evangelism event in a park, in a local park. And again, for many years, I'd longed to do this, but my, my, my desire was not fulfilled until Plano, Texas. And I could not, until then, I could not get one other brother to go out with me, for they were too busy serving God inside the church. Now, Christians, ladies and gentlemen, followers of Christ, I'm not against serving God inside the church. But as a veteran now in Christ, I know, I see, we can't just be too busy serving God inside the church. God wants us to get outside the church walls and serve Him outside as well, too. But anyway, God gave me this great opportunity to get involved in street ministry with other brothers and sisters in Christ, and it was just what I had been waiting for for many years. 
So I went ahead and I got all the details. I went to who the pastor said I should go to. I got all the details. I had the time and date set. I, I was in. I kind of put my name in. And, and I had a huge go-ahead from God, of course, because, you know, God had known my desire and that I longed to do this for years. And so, and my point to telling you all this is this. Now I had to get prepared for the assignment that God had given me to do. I was ready, understand. I was ready in my heart. I was, I was, like, I was like Peter. Lord, I, wherever you go, I'll go. Lord, if you, if, if you die, I'll die too. I was ready in my heart. I was ready eager-wise. As the disciples were for Christ, as he walked with them before his resurrection, but I wasn't ready and prepared, spiritually speaking, as the disciples weren't, as they listened to Jesus give them their final marching orders, and then as they listened to him right after he was parted to them, he was parted from them, and he left the world and they resurrected. They were real strong and brave. Man, Jesus is right there. He's the leader. Hey, we just follow him and we just watch him do all the work. Now that he's resurrected, they watched it, but they weren't ready. He was leaving. Now they had to be the ones to go out. And they had to be the ones and the, to, to, to be the front runners, to do all the work, to, to be like the Jesus now and go there. And they weren't ready, and neither was I. They went back to Jerusalem after they got their marching orders and together, all together as a strong unit separated from the world, they sought the Lord intensely in prayer and supplication to get ready to do what Christ wanted them to do because they knew they weren't. And the same went for me in my mission for God. I needed to do the same. I had my marching orders, but I wasn't, wasn't ready to do what Christ told me to do spiritually. So I went home from my dream come true of getting others to finally share Christ with me on the streets, but I had to get prepared. So how did I do it? I don't remember how long I did it. I don't remember how long I took it, but I remember I began to seek the Lord intensely in prayer and supplication. And not only that, I had to get into the study of his word and look for verses that, hey, God, what do you want me to tell these people? Uh, what should I say to them? I, I want to tell them about you and, and what it takes to be saved. And, and I know the world around me is so wicked and, and so evil, but Lord, but Lord, what do I tell them? And I separated myself and my heart to God. And when I went home from that time, from that point on for I don't know how long, and I separated myself to God and I sought the Lord in prayer, supplication. God, help me to do this. Oh, what am I going to do? How, how, how am I going to start this? And then I try to play over the conversations in my mind, but I tried to get ready on my own, but I couldn't because only God could get me ready. You see, after I got my marching orders from God, this new work of evangelism became a reality. And what happened next to me, which is I'm sure what happened to the disciples, this dread and fear came over me because I realized that I wasn't going to do something that I had done before. It was all different with, with people that I'd never met before. And, and I wasn't sure how it was going to be like and, and how people would react to me or, or what they'd say back to me. And, and I was going to go talk to them about Jesus. And oh my gosh, would I meet atheists or, or oh my gosh, would I, would I, uh, would I meet pagans or, or oh, and people that think they're Christians, but, but they're not. Oh my gosh. And I, and I was fearful. This fear gripped me and I was scared and this dread came over me. So again, I started to seek the Lord continuously 
earnestly in prayer and supplication in the study of his word so I could get ready spiritually. And what happened after that? That was the beginning of a, of a beautiful career that the Lord started with me from that point for like five or six years, seven, eight years I did that for Christ. This is what I did for the Lord up until about the last few years when God said, hey, I, I, I want you to take a break on that right now. Do it with the people you meet, you know, as you go along in life, but stop that. But I did that evangelism that I prayed and sought the Lord about for like eight solid years, pretty much consistently with power and seeing miracles on the streets and, and seeing miracles even in people's lives. And, and, and that's what I see with these faithful followers of Christ doing, that's what I see them doing here in the upper room after Jesus Christ, you know, resurrects or he ascends. And then, you know, after his, and then even with Jesus Christ, with his baptism in the wilderness, when he goes off into the wilderness, these faithful followers of Christ knew that they were not ready. And I'm sure they were scared out of their minds because of course, what was ahead of them was the fear of the unknown. Well, what were the Jewish you know, leaders going to do to us? Well, what, what, how are the people going to receive us? Oh, what we bring to them is Jesus Christ, and they're, they're monotheistic, and they believe in, in God alone. And you see, they knew they weren't ready. So again, they got together and continuously sought the Lord in prayer and supplication to get ready to do what God called them to do. So you see, I can say today that I know how they were feeling. And because I was in a similar position, I know what they went through. And I know why they responded the way I did, the way that they did. But that wasn't the only time for me. There's been many other times, but I told you two examples for me. Just two. Just two. I gave you all of the disciples. I gave you Christ. And now, now me for a second one. For me, this time I talked to you about when I sought the Lord in supplication and prayer, wasn't the only time I'd do this for a huge new job that God was giving to me. I mentioned how Jesus brought me and my family to Texas almost 11 years ago now. Well, that's a huge time of seeking Christ in prayer and supplication for His direction for me and my family also. Us coming here to Texas from where we were. A little bit of backstory. You see, God saved me when I lived in Sarasota, Florida almost 17 years ago. And now, uh, I served the Lord there in a great church for several years. But I got, the, I got the call from God to leave a number of years after I had been saved and move to Arkansas of all places, right? So we did, but we were only there for one year. And of course, Jesus didn't tell me that before we left Florida. God is good at not telling you if you're his servant. He's, not, he's good at not telling you what's ahead and all the exact details. Because I think if he did, I think we'd just go hide in a hole and I think we'd, we'd not come out. Because he's, he's good at not telling us because he knows how we react. And instead he kind of just thrusts it upon us sometimes. And then when it's just thrust upon us, well, we just, well, I got to see God or quit. No, I want to see God. And so anyway... He did this with me, and he, he, he wanted us to move from, from Florida to Arkansas and then to Texas. And he wanted us to do it in a matter of just a couple consecutive years. We were only in Arkansas for one year, and then I got the relocation orders from Jesus to come to Texas. Wow, right? That's, 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 a, lot of, that's a lot to take in. 
Well, maybe it doesn't seem like a lot, but it was considering I was moving my whole family twice in two consecutive years. Really, three times if you consider Florida, then Arkansas, then Texas. Three states in like two and a half years. Plus, considering finances, health issues, and a whole lot of work to move. When you add to that getting a new job, a new place to live, not a house, but an apartment with no job, and safety during the move, etc., it was a lot. But I tell you, to this day, I really strongly believe that God had spoken to me and wanted me and my family to come to Texas. But the big question, where to come, it's a big state, you know, and what about the details and all the problems we had because we had some major obstacles that were in the way of us coming. You see, no church or organization uh, supports me financially. Any ties or gifts that we get to come into Gospel Saving Church now even all go to just the operations of the church. Nobody pays me, not even my own congregation, not anybody online. Whatever money we get as a church or whatever we give all goes toward staying online, the, you know, the, 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 the internet ministry, the, the things we need around you know, the, the church here. Nothing goes to me. I am supported, God spoke to me, by jobs. I work some jobs, some secular jobs, meaning some non-religious jobs. I work for just businesses that wherever we move, God gives me these jobs. And he says, hey, go work here. And he lays out a plan for me, and then I go work there. And, and you know, that's just how it works. But no church or no organization supports me, but God supports me through jobs. Back to the story. So I'm believing that God is telling me to leave Arkansas and move to Texas only one year after we moved to Arkansas. But, it's, but is it really God considering how many roadblocks and issues we had? Many probably did and still do call me crazy for even thinking about doing this. But once you have a relationship with Jesus, you need to understand he's going to speak to you like he speaks to me and you're going to hear him. And it's going to sometimes be some crazy things that you're going to hear. He's going to want you to do some crazy and radical things. And so this is what I believe that he wanted me to do. So what did I do with this huge calling that I felt God called me to do? Well, I started continually seeking God in prayer and supplication in an insane way, just like the faithful followers of Christ did in Acts chapter 1 here, and as Jesus Christ did in Matthew chapter 4. What problems and mountains did we have specifically that were in the way of us easily coming to Texas and and, and caused me to seek God the way I did? Well, for starters there, the jobs didn't pay very much. Fortunately, the cost of living also wasn't very much, so, you know, God provided and we made it. But there is one thing that is not cheap anywhere you go, and that's health insurance, you see. And me and my wife did not make enough money to buy health insurance. And and when we went there, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my youngest son kept getting sick. And he kept having illnesses. Every couple weeks, we'd have to go to the doctor. We'd have to get medicine. And so we didn't have, we, you know, living on what we were living on there, we had to apply for what they call state insurance for the children. And so, of course, they gave us that because of our income level, and we were approved, and we started, you know, the state started covering my child's doctor visits. Well, moving to a new state meant that we would lose our health care for our youngest child from the state. And that meant... No care for his illness. That would have meant that I would have had to come out of my own pocket, plus the cost of the move, plus the cost of living, and that just wasn't going to happen for very long. 
And, and I wouldn't believe that God would want me to pick up and move my whole family with a sick child and go to a state where there, I had no health care for my children. And then I was going to have to pay for it. And he was basically, it'd be like, almost like he'd be abandoning me. And then that's not God. So of course he wouldn't want me to do that. He's not like that. But that was not our only huge issue. If we were to move, we needed an apartment in the area we felt like God was calling us to. Yet, since it was a new state and I wasn't with a company that I could transfer with, I had to get a new job. And that was a problem because apartments require that you have employment before they rent to you. And not only do they want you to have a steady job for some time, but they want you to prove your employment and prove the amount of money that you make to make sure that you can actually pay the rent. You know, it makes sense, right? So in order for this move that I believe was from God to happen, I had three major obstacles that I could not get around. I had a perpetually sick child, no job in a new state, and no apartment because I had no job. So in my seeking the Lord in supplication and prayer, continually at this time, I mean, just solid day in and day out, God, what do you want me to do? How are you going to make all this work? I don't understand. Is this really you? I laid all these things out before Jesus. I told him that if he really wanted me to move, then he had to heal my youngest son of his illness, somehow get me an apartment without having a job and an income, and of course, get me a job. I needed to have work, right? Pretty incredible odds. Some would say that it couldn't happen. And you bet your bottom dollar. Uh, But I am here in Texas this very day, which means that the move happened. Praise God. But how did it happen? How did God do it? Well, in my continuous supplication and prayer, God made it clear that he wanted me to move by... He suddenly healed my child of his sickness, of his illness. He wasn't sick anymore. He healed my youngest son. No more doctor visits every week, every two weeks. No more of that. Next, somehow, he led us to a super nice apartment. It wasn't some rundown in the projects apartment. It was a really nice apartment right in the city that I actually got the job in, but I didn't actually have the job yet. I moved on faith with no job, a healed kid, and an apartment with no job that rented to us even though I had no job. And lastly, because God is faithful. He is faithful, ladies and gentlemen. He provided me with a new job in Texas the very first week that we lived here. It was a job that I'd actually applied for on the internet while we were still lived in Arkansas. And I actually still have it today, 10 and a half years later. That is awesome. And even at this job, I can give you more times that I had to seek God continuously in prayer and supplication because they didn't exactly like me talking to other coworkers and customers about Jesus Christ. Yet, this is what I came to Texas for. This is why I live. I was an atheist. God saved me. I'm a born-again Christian. I love talking to people about Jesus. I want to see people get saved. And the only way you do that is by praying for people and talking to people. But nevertheless, God is amazing. I was frightened about picking up my family and moving to Texas just one year after we'd moved into Arkansas, but I had truly believed God told me to go. So just like the faithful followers of Christ were doing here in the upper room or this apartment in Jerusalem and, and, and similar to Christ in Matthew 4, so I did when, he, when I felt him telling me to come to Texas. 
I sought God with all my heart. It was a big and scary move. And it still took faith. Because as I said, we moved without a job for me or my wife. And I had two children. No job for me and my wife. Somehow we got an apartment. Somehow my kid got healed. I moved and then in faith, just God being the good God he is, he gave me a job. That was a miracle. Several, three miracles, all in one move. And all because I continuously sought the Lord in prayer and supplication, and he answered me by giving us everything we needed to make the move and to do the work that he called us to do, same as he did for the faithful followers of Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 2 and Jesus Christ in Luke 4, when they sought God in prayer and supplication and he gave them his promise and Jesus the power of the Spirit, and then they went out with boldness, confidence, power, and preached like crazy for God about Jesus Christ. Whew! I never intended for this message to turn out like it did. I don't think that I've ever taught a message with so many of my own personal experiences that took me so long to tell you about them. This wasn't wasn't just like I spent five minutes. I spent quite a a long time, and I normally I don't want to draw attention to myself. I want to point to Jesus Christ. And I hope I did that today because the emphasis was not on me. It was about what God wanted me to do and how I obeyed Him, but then how I got to that point where I could even obey him and that was by continuously in prayer and supplication seeking the lord but as i prayed and asked god what to write about this message this is the stuff that came out and i needed it more than probably any of you needed it but i but i don't know that for sure but it leads me to believe after writing what I did, after saying all the things that I did, after all the experiences that I shared with you today, it leads me to believe that there's someone out there in this great big world that is tuned into this message that is going through a similar time to what Jesus Christ, the disciples, and I have gone through. A time where God is asking you to do something that is super scary, way outside of your comfort zone and unbelievably crazy and that even others are saying they can't happen or it's ridiculous. I surely don't know who you are, but God absolutely does. And he had me write and preach this message just for you. And here's the reason. He wants you to know that although he has asked you to do this wild and crazy and unbelievable thing or things, whatever it may be, he wants you to know that he loves you very much. And he wants you to know that he's with you. Even though you may be terribly scared and terribly frightened and maybe even doubting that God is the one who is speaking to you, telling you to do whatever it is that you feel you think he's leading you to do. He asked his original disciples, listen to this, guys. Listen how scary this is. He asked his original disciples, 11 ragtag, nothing bunch of people, to go out and evangelize the whole world. Wow! These guys weren't scholars. These guys weren't rich. These guys were ragtag tax collectors, fishermen. They were nobody. And he asked them to go out and evangelize the world. But they realized, hey, wait, I'm not able to do this on on my own. Guys, we can't do this on our own. 
We're 11 nothing people. And Jesus wants us to tell the whole world about him? What? So what did they do? They, in Acts 1, they go off and they separate themselves and they seek God in prayer and supplication and they get what they need from God. That's why they did what they did here in Acts chapter 1. And I, in my walk with Christ, have had this... Have had to, to have times that I sought the Lord continuously in prayer and supplication. Why? So that we could, so that God could assure us that it was Him who was really talking to us, and so that He could give us what we needed to serve Him and to do the miraculous and supernatural and amazing, like unbelievable things that God has wanted us to do. And following this pattern for you, my listener. He wants you to do the same thing as his son, the disciples, and if I and as I have done. He wants you to start seeking him in continual prayer and supplication to number one. Make sure it's really him that's telling you to do the crazy work that's coming to your mind to do for him. I mean, not everything you get in your mind is going to be from God. God tells you, hey, I don't to do this. Hey, you better go to the scriptures and find out, first of all, hey, is this even a godly thing that, you know, we do? Hey, God told me to go jump off a bridge, you know, and do a, a belly flop from 100 feet up. Oh, that would be called suicide. That, that's probably not from God. So number one, seeking the Lord helps you know, is it really God that told me to do what, what, I, what I'm hearing here? That's number one. Number two, Seeking God in continual prayer and supplication, he'll grant you confirmation that it's truly him and the idea he's given you. And number three, if it is him, he'll grant you the power and whatever you need that he, to do what he's asking you to do, no matter how crazy it may seem, the thing that he asks you to do. The big question is this to you, my listener, the, the one that maybe God's asking to do some wild and crazy thing. Will you seek Christ and God Almighty in prayer and supplication continually so that he can either prepare you and give you what you need to do, the crazy and insane thing that he's asked you to do, or show you that the idea that you have, the word that you think is from him, is not from him? But will you take up that lamp? Will you separate yourselves? And will you daily... Go after God in the prayer closet, continuously praying, continuously seeking God, continuously in supplication. God, help me. I don't know. Can I do this? Is this even you? Show me if it's you. Please, God, will you go off and will you do that? But definitely, I know it's for sure, there's somebody in this listening audience around the world somewhere that will be listening to this message that's going to say, God has asked me to do a crazy thing, and I didn't know if it was God, but wow, this guy's preaching a message, and he's talking about doing crazy things for God. And I know there's somebody out there, because this is why God had me write and speak this message today. So God's telling you to go. God's telling you to do radical and crazy things for him. Will you continuously, in prayer and supplication, seek God so that he can give you what you need to do what he's asked you to do? Because he will. Hebrews 10.6, and I'll close with this verse and then we'll pray. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek 
Lord Jesus. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your word today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for this wisdom that you've given us, Lord. Lord, I don't know who it is out there that you're reaching out to right now, Lord God, but I know there's somebody. I know there is. And and Lord, just like the disciples, God Almighty, just like Jesus Christ in the wilderness, just like me several times, probably maybe even 20 times by now in my almost 17 years for you, Lord, I have had to get alone and continuously seek you in prayer and supplication, Lord, so to confirm it was you. And, then, and if it was you, Lord, to, to actually have what you need me to, to have so I could do the work that you called me to. And Lord God, you've answered me every time. Whether it was a yay or whether it was an a or whether it was a go-ahead and you gave me the stuff to do it, Lord, you gave it to me every time. Just like the disciples and just like Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4. So, Lord, I pray for that listener out there right now, Lord God, that you've been speaking to their hearts and you've been, you've been asking them to do something wild and crazy for you. Something they think, no, there's no way God would want me to do this. There's no way that God would want me to do whatever, this, that, or whatever. And yet here we are, and this message is all about that, Lord God. Give them, the, you just gave them the green light, Lord. I, I pray now, Lord God, they go out in power and they do whatever it is that you call them to do, Lord God. In, in, in power filled with your Holy Spirit, going in your name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, Lord God. Thank you so much for this message. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for the way you speak to us. And we ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.